0: the godfather of craft beer, founder of the Association of Brewers and the Great American Beer Festival, my guest today also wrote the hugely successful Complete Joy of Home Brewing. Craft beer has changed the beer industry forever, and we're going to get an inside look at what's going on from the man closest to the epicenter, and that can only be Charlie Papazion. So thank you, Charlie, for coming on.
1: Oh, you're welcome, Lori. Pleasure to be Virtually there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to virtually have you. So it's it's not a fad.
1: Oh, beer drinking has never been a fad. <laughs> well, the well, whole movement in, in
0: in craft beer doesn't seem to be. I, I think it's here forever.
1: Well, um, I would hope so because uh, you know right now we seem you know we might say that we're in the golden age of beer here in the United States, but. Um, Golden ages don't last a long time, so maybe it's better than that.
0: <laughs> yeah. How did beer get to the United States? Did the pilgrims bring it over, or did how, how did the settlers bring it? Where did it, it it originate originally?
1: Well, you know, there were indigenous people that lived in North and Central America that were making some form of beer with the grains and the sugars that they could find, whether it be honey or corn or what have you. But, you know, what we know as beer, um, we're, you know, the idea was brought over by the by the Europeans. And in the early days, it was a lot safer to drink beer than it was water, which car- water carried all kinds of diseases back in those days. And uh, beer as a fermented beverage uh cannot host any pathogens so you know beer was a lot safer to drink
0: mm-hmm. and then it it kind of evolved and 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 became how how we know it at some point probably in the 50s or 60s or maybe it was the 40s to mass producing beer and it kind of seemed like it kind of lost its way and became maybe a little generic and then and now it's coming back to um, where, where the home brewing came into it, more of a, a specialty where everybody has their own little spin on it? Is, is that the way you see it going?
1: Yeah, you know, beer has come and gone and come full circle from its origins here in the United States which were primarily home brewing and then with the uh with communities springing up across the United States um there were local small breweries that were providing the beverage and then the industrial age and you found the you know the mechanization and the packaging and being able to brew larger batches and distribution systems evolved and beer was more uh, could be easily distributed more easily distributed and refrigeration had a lot to do with that as well as that was invented and came into play and yes back in the 50s as you uh, inferred 50s and 60s you know uh, it was Uh, You know, mass-produced beer was, uh, you know, uh, light lager beer was indicative of what beer had become in the United States up through, I'd say, the early 70s. And then about that time, people were traveling, you know, Americans were able to travel a bit more, and they were discovering that beer was something other than just American light lager, the idea of what uh was coming back home that you know there was there was something happening in Europe that was called beer that had a lot more flavor and and character and those ideas were brought back by travelers and increased information and um home brewers, in order to get uh that flavor in that experience had had no option other than to make it themselves. so you know home brewing has always been around, but it really sprang up in the i say the mid nineteen seventies whereby people you know were desperate to have something that had flavor and character and and have a choice in beer styles and home brewing uh sprang uh you know. Put down roots and became quite popular, and it kept on growing popular. And the home brewers also had the notion of starting their own breweries, and uh, the original microbreweries were sprang up in the uh, late '70s and through the early '80s. And um, people were getting their first taste of what we now call craft beer here in the United States. And as you know, there, well, maybe you don't know, your listeners don't know, but there are over 2,500 small brewers now in the United States, more than any any other country in the world.
0: Wow. wow that is amazing. So if if, if I wanted to, to make my own beer, what, what would be my, my first thing? Probably I would think what everyone else is doing, and that's getting your book, The Complete Joy of, of Home Brewing. Does that kind of give you the steps A to Z on, on where to start?
1: Well, it gives you the A to Z and a lot of inspiration to go beyond the alphabet, so to speak. Um, you know, my yeah, my my book is probably the most the best-selling book on home brewing that's out there. There's there are several books out there right now. Mine has sold over 1.3 million copies since it first came out in the mid '80s, and it continues to to inspire a lot of home brewers and who also many of them become craft brewers making it a way of life rather than just a hobby but you don't have to make it a way of life and a business to enjoy uh the hobby (laughs) there are there's probably a our american home brewers association which is based here in boulder colorado which i am um founder of uh estimates there's probably about a one and a half million home brewers here in the united states who will make a batch of beer this year and so you know uh there is an explosion of interest in the creativity, the science, and the art. You know, whichever way you look at your hobby, um, there, home brewing has become popular. Not only because it's fun to do, but the beer tastes really great. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. I, I bet so. I I would imagine you only drink craft beer now. That, that's that's what your palate would want.
1: Well. Yes. You know, I often get asked, you know, what do you drink, Charlie? What's your favorite style? What's your favorite brand? And, you know, it's usually the beer that I have in my hand (laughs) or the next beer (laughs) I'm going to have. That's my favorite beer. But, you know, I still homebrew after, you know, I started uh, brewing when I was in college in the 70s and uh, 1970s. And uh, I continue to brew about 12 to 13 times a year, brew all kinds of ales and lagers and specialty beers and an occasional honey mead, um, which my friends enjoy. And I brew it because I enjoy the hobby and I enjoy having my own beer on tap. And there's a lot of beers that are available. Uh, It's craft beers that that I enjoy when I'm out and about in restaurants and pubs and craft breweries. And uh, I usually... My choice, wherever I am, and I travel quite a bit, is to try to enjoy... The most local of beers um, of course i'll try the beer if I'm visiting a brewery, but if I'm in a restaurant or a pub i'll I'll look at the tap handle and look at the menu and see what's 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 nearby that they're offering
2: mhm
0: yeah, you know i I wanted to ask you about that because I've started seeing um uh, that like wine and having ratings and having uh magazines that kind of point people into uh point systems on wines. I, I've started seeing a little bit of that moving into into craft beers. Is it, is it going that way where people are going to rate beer and and then put out tasting information on them?
1: Well there are quite a few websites and publications that do just that, you know, everybody, you know, if you're a beer drinker, you have your own you have an opinion. <laughs> it's just the very nature <laughs> of drinking beer, beer drinkers are opinionated and everybody has different tastes and um you know the bottom line is that we all have different tastes depending on our mood and the situation we're in and sometimes we like to drink and enjoy lighter lighter ales and lagers and sometimes we enjoy uh heavier, more full flavored, sipping ales and lagers. It just depends on the situation you're in and the company you're in and what mood you're in. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with uh kind of surfing the the vast choice of of craft beers that are out there. And that's that's kind of what what I do. Um, you know, as you mentioned, there, people are rating them and that's part of the fun. People, you know, that what what craft beer has done is really change beer drinking from what it used to be in, 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 in and in a very short summary it used to be just kind of a, ref, a, a refreshing beverage that people drank simply for refreshment because it didn't have much flavor or character to it um, and now there's so many personalities that beer can have it has inspired the pursuit of discovery I guess you could say and people have their you know, they, they choose to, to explore and discover beer in many ways. And one of the ways is to, you know, explore the qualities of beer and rate them. Some people choose to explore the qualities of, you know, beer and food pairings and matching. Um, some people ex- choose to explore the, the beers of certain countries and certain styles. Um it's it's a world uh, that has, right now, no boundaries, um, and it's a far cry from what beer used to be 20 or 30 years ago here in the United States, and, I, and the rest of the world is catching on too. There are craft brewers that are emerging uh, in different countries throughout the world that are looking at what's happening in the United States, and they are very envious and they want to duplicate that or replicate that in their own countries to give beer drinkers the ch- kind of choice that we have in this country.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I-, I wanted to ask you about that because you put together the Great American Beer Festival, so I wanted you to tell me a little bit about that, and and can anyone come, or is it just brewers? And I, I would think that this would open up a door for people, like you were just saying, outside of the United States as well as the United States to come and um see what's going on and and learn
1: more. Oh, Absolutely. I founded the Great American Beer Festival in 1982 after a trip to the Great British Beer Festival in 1981 and I was just awed that there would be so many different kinds of beers that were available in one country and I was kind of envious and I had a notion that maybe we could put together a Great American Beer Festival in the United States that could feature the diversity of of what beer could be and was in the United States, and of course in 1982 there wasn't a whole lot of choice. So uh, my my friends and I, who, who co-founded the uh, the festival with me, we had uh, we sought to invite breweries, large and small, because it was American. It wasn't a microbrewery festival; it was an American beer festival. We asked the brewers to bring you know their more unique beers. Um, so in those days, they were we could find some pale ales and cream ales and porters and stouts here and there, and um, it began from there, and it has evolved to an event that nearly fifty thousand people uh, attend over a three-day period here in Denver, Colorado. Um, the event sells out every year, and it's sold out has sold out for this year. But you do, as as you mentioned, there are a lot of people that come from. Outside of the United States, to explore and marvel at the incredible selection, I think we have over three, close to three thousand beers that people can try, um, in the hall during the during the festival. Um, we you know we offer people one ounce. The brewers are there serving their beer, and they offer one ounce taste of their beer, and you have an unlimited opportunity to explore various themes that we call beer here in the United States.
0: Yeah and and you also have awards I think that you give out and there's judging is what's the criteria to establish a good beer from an excellent beer?
1: Um yes, there is a competition associated associated with the Great American Beer Festival. There are approximately 90, 80 to 90 beer style categories in which brewers are invited to Enter their beers, and judging takes place by a cup over two hundred brew two two hundred beer judges that come to Denver, Colorado, and over a three day period, the beers are judged, and first, second, third, gold, silver, bronze uh, medals are awarded in each of those categories. And the criteria is not whether the beer just tastes good, because uh, you know most beers these days. You know, there's always a beer drinker that's going to think it's the best, best beer in the world. And that's why these brewers stay in business. But we we have a set, uh, um, guidelines, beer style guidelines, kind of a template and a, an outline of, of what, to, what to look for with regards to particular beer styles, whether it's a stout or porter or a pale ale or a Belgian style lambic beer or what have you. Um and the brewers are the beers are judged to style and there may be some really good beers that judges would would taste in um a category but nowadays the competition the it's so competitive and the quality of the beer is so good that it's you know you it's often difficult for judges to kind of draw the line between you know the 50 to 100 beers that maybe have been entered in a in a category and pick the top 3 but you know i've been involved with judging for many many years and it's surprising that there more often than not there is a consensus among the judges uh, with regards to what is the top what are the top 3 beers in any given category
0: mm-hmm. how how you know but, but let we, me just add that go
1: ahead, go ahead. Yeah. i'm sorry
0: no oh, no uh, definitely um, go ahead
1: Oh, I was just going to say, you know, what do the judges look for? I mean, just a quick course in beer judging is they look at the beer's appearance, head retention, the color of the beer, the clarity of the beer, and how appropriate it is to style because some beers should be cloudy like a wheat beer, German-style wheat beer. And and they also uh, judge – evaluate the aroma. They evaluate the flavors. They evaluate the malt character, the sweet malt characters, and the dark malt characters. They evaluate the hop characters, which can be bitter, um, and they can and hops can contribute flavor as well as aroma. Um, they also uh, evaluate. Uh, the fermentation qualities because fermentation, yeast fermenting uh, malt sugars and other sugars create different flavor compounds that can be fruity, estery, alcoholic, um, and many other characters. So, you know, there's a lot going on in uh, when a judge is evaluating a beer and the most important, and then there's even a, a, a portion of the evaluation, which is overall balance. Some people may call it drinkability, but just, you know, it's, it's the 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 evaluate you know, you're evaluating whether you know this is a beer you would sit down with and really is representative of the style and you would enjoy a couple of glasses with of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I, I could def, you know, definitely see
0: that. It. It, it it has kind of that same. Um, thing going on that, that wine does where it's just become a real social type of and, and there's always been social but this is even more on a deeper level now where you can talk about it and think about it and smell it like you were saying and, and pick up all of those qualities that, that go into the process. Is it is it still, is it, is it right to drink beer at room temperature or cold or is is there a rule on that?
1: Well there are general uh there are suggestions that brewers will make uh, for various styles and various types of beer. But, you know, in America here, we we would consider uh, British beer, English ale, served in England as, we would describe them as warm. But the ideal temperature of English ales, for example, is about 55 degrees, which we would consider warm. Um, beer here in this country is often, especially particularly light. American style loggers is, is served close to freezing temperatures and i just invite your listeners if they think 55 degrees is is warm um they ought to go uh swimming in the Atlantic Ocean on in off the coast of Maine which is about 55 degrees temperature and see if that is warm <laughs> it's pretty darn cold um it's very That's true. you know and, and and ales are generally, you know, people suggest that ales be enjoyed at a warmer temperature, being in the 50s, low 50s, um, because you get more of the malt character and the fruitiness and the, and the nuances that really um, are all about the flavor and the aroma of the beer. When you really chill a beer down to freezing temperatures, which is fine for American-style light lagers because there's a not a, a whole lot of going on with regards to flavors and aroma. It's, it's a refreshing beer, but when you chill uh, some of these uh, other styles of beer that craft brewers are making down to 33, 34, 35 degrees, you're not able to experience the full character of the beer. It's just um, it's really remarkable. Um, you know, If you have any doubts, you could have a, a beer tasting at home and serve the same beer and at different temperatures to your guests and ask them um which ones they prefer and, and which ones they enjoy more. Um and and whether they think they're different or the same. Um even the glass makes a difference. You know, we're on while we're on the subject of, you know, serving beer at temperatures, you know, serving beers in appropriate glassware. Often I've been involved with with serving beers and, and trying to fool my my friends and guests and, and I'll serve a beer in one type of glass and I'll serve the same beer in another kind of glass and say, here's another beer, try this. And when I tell them it's the same beer, they it, it's hard to believe because the experience is so different because certain kinds of glasses will capture the aroma more and certain kinds of glasses will force you to tilt your head back a little farther, forcing the beer to the back of your mouth, back in the front of your mouth. And that, and the, and the whole dynamics of of experiencing the flavor has a lot to do with where the beer hits 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 your mouth and and at what temperature and whether you are able to appreciate the uh, aromas um, of the beer. Um, it's it's pretty interesting. Like I said, people have so many different ways of exploring the qualities of craft beer. We're talking about rating beers before. You know, tasting beers and nuances, evaluating beer, beer and food. You know, if people want to explore, learn a little bit more, there's a, we have a great website called CraftBeer.com, and on the on the front page there's a beer education and a craft beer 101 uh, kind of uh, course that they that people can can take online and. Learn about different styles and tasting, and glassware, and pairing with beer and food, and uh, the beer beer making process. That's amazing. But what was the
0: name of that website again, Charlie? I'm going to write that. Yes, yeah, it's,
1: it's, it's craftbeer.com, <laughs> and there's okay. a pull-down menu on beer studies and beer 101 course is is the what I was just referring to. But there's a wealth of information on craftbeer.com. You know, an extensive Cooking with Craft Beer Recipe Database it's the most <clears throat> our directory is the most extensive brewery database on the internet and it has the most up to date uh listings of all the breweries in the United States and and worldwide um hundreds of yearly press releases and event list beer event listings uh extensive information on beer and food pairings uh beer craft beer recipes uh and if you really want to explore more, you could go to. And if you're a home brewer, the home it's called homebrewersassociation.org is another site where you can really dive. Um, you can skim the surface or dive deeply into home brewing on the homebrewersassociation.org website and just see what people are doing and talking about and join the forum and ask your questions and people are pretty responsive.
0: That is amazing. There's so many moving parts to this um, because, like you said, the glasses and and the bottles. Where, where do people get the bottles? Do You save up your bottles from from, from the beer you drink brewing? and you recycle. Yeah.
1: Well, you know the easiest thing is to to look uh, look in an online directory of homebrew supply stores, and there's usually a homebrew supply store nearby most people, and all that you need to get started from books to bottles. Are um, available at uh, homebrew supply stores. Um, you know, you can buy them there, or you can collect beer bottles. You just, have, you know, you have to go through the task of emptying those empty, <laughs> emptying those beer bottles. But most people don't mind, don't mind doing that. Right, right. The, ulti- the does, ultimate does in bear... recycling.
0: Exactly. How, how long does beer keep, generally?
1: Um generally uh well there is no generally but uh because some beer some beer styles are meant to age like some of the stronger types of beer um barley wines and imperial stouts and porters often age given the proper conditioning C- proper conditions they'll age and develop very interesting and desirable characters um but if you're enjoying you know what the popular beer styles like pale ales and porters and stouts Belgian style pale ales and fruity beers you know when the beer leaves a brewery it's at its peak more often than not and if it's kept under quiet conditions at temperatures between 50 and 65 degrees in a dark place which is your refrigerator or your basement cellar um, beer's can hold the characters that the brewery really in, intended you to experience for 3 to 4 months. Um, thing is if you put it in the trunk if you if you live in a very warm climate or it's summertime and you put you put a fresh beer in the trunk of your car even for a half hour an hour heat and age uh and time are really the Really, minimize the the flavor of beer uh beer can go stale it's a food, and there are you know reactions that takes place in any food product and, and same with beer and so keeping your beer cool and in a uh quiet environment is the best thing to do.
0: Is it expensive? To to get into home brewing, you know, how much would it like cost? Just the average Joe say they're listening and they're like, you know, I've always wanted to do this. I've got some resources now. You know, is, is it expensive to start it up?
1: Um, it, you know, it's very accessible. You can spend anywhere from one hundred to two hundred dollars on the on the initial equipment. And if you have a brew pot to begin with, you know, a three or four gallon size pot. You know that's that's one of the major expenses of of starting out, and also your fermentation vessels, vessels which could be um, five gallon vessels, which could be plastic pails that are specifically designed to ferment beer, or 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 even glass uh, water carboys, we call them. Um, but these are all available at homebrew shops. So you know, 100 to 200 dollars is a very reasonable. Uh, amount of initial investment and making beer for um, you know it's it costs the 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 as far as brewing up various recipes the cost per bottle of beer is significantly less than buying the beer but you know you're putting your own you're putting your time into it you're putting in if you're starting out with the simpler procedures you're putting in a couple of hours of of brew time. Uh, to make their first batch of beer. You're waiting anywhere from 10 days to two and a half weeks to ferment your beer. And then you're going to spend the, an hour or so bottling your beer. And then you're going to wait another five or six days for it to carbonate. And so there's some patience. There's a little bit of work involved. And the rewards are very enjoyable. And you keep, you keep friends that way too. <laughs>
0: Definitely. Well, it, that's that's not expensive for you know for a hobby when you're starting it out as a hobby. And when you first start it, Charlie, does you know do you have batches that go bad, and should you just hang in there with it, or how how do you know if you if if you made a, a bad batch, and and can a bad batch kill you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, a bad batch cannot kill you. Um, you know, in days that have long gone by, there was a real lack of good information out there. And the incidents of beers that didn't quite turn out the way you wanted them to the extent that you didn't want to drink the beer are mostly bygone days. Um, There's so much good information out there. And the homebrew shops are very knowledgeable. There are probably 800 homebrew clubs around the around the country and there in almost in every, every significant community there are people homebrewers that get together to share information and share knowledge but you know if you get a good book and mine is one of them i think um it wouldn't have sold a million and a half can't. nearly a million and a half <laughs> copies did um usually people's first batch of beer becomes a wow experience you know it's the anticipation and the anxiety of making your first batch really kind of is the the biggest barrier that people people need usually need to overcome because they can do it. It's easy, and once you have that first batch under your belt literally and figuratively um you know you say, "Wow, that was pretty easy to do. I think I can do this again, and it becomes addictive making beer becomes addictive and um I've seen it time and time again and uh it's changed a lot of people's lives and um doing things you know, doing things together with their family and friends, um sharing with their with their friends and pursuing the knowledge that is beer and brewing. It's it's just so interesting. And I think, you know, the spillover on this, I mean brew home brewers and craft brewers and the whole community that really is engaged in beer have been doing this for a few decades and it's only recently that the food community has kind of figured that out as well people are more more people are engaged with the quality of the food and beverage that they drink and enjoy and eat and wanting to know the origins and wanting to know about the ingredients and wanting to know about the qualities and and you know the different creations that can be enjoyed, and you know this. I from my viewpoint, this really all started with with home brewers back in the 70s, and the craft brewers that have been engaging on the, at that informational level for more than 30 years. And uh, you know the food community and, uh, is, and not only the food community, but consumers, people who in, are are enjoying. What they eat more and more because they're more knowledgeable, and the same continues to be said about beer and brewing and enjoying beer
0: well, your book um the Complete Joy of Home Brewing it is a go to book i mean you just you, you can't even google anything about craft beer uh making without that coming up i mean that that's why it's been in reprint over and over and over and sold millions of copies. It really is the the really the, the, the first place people start. And, I mean, that's just absolutely no exaggeration. I wanted to ask you about when you're drinking beer and cleansing your palate, is is there something that beer drinkers use? You know how wine um, drinkers will use crackers or cheese or something? Is, is there something that, that beer drinkers use when you're having different beer <laughs> tastings to, to kind of cleanse your palate?
1: There will. There will. You know, if you're seriously evaluating beer for a very – uh, you know, maybe a professional reason, whether you're on a brewery tasting panel or you're judging a competition. Um, that's serious. You know, that's considered very serious stuff and it's good to cleanse your palate. And what I liked, what I enjoy doing is, is uh, using uh, unflavored uh, soda water. Sparkling water is a great palate cleanser as well as unsalted, Matzah crackers, which is about as basic of a cracker as you can find, and those two things are really good at cleansing your palate. But when you're out and about with friends, or um, and and you're interested in tasting things, you know, uh, there's some great stuff that that enhances the experience of evaluating and tasting beer, like particularly cheeses. Boy, cheese and beer is, is 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 a is a marriage that was just made in heaven um there's so many different cheeses now that are available, and many of them go distinctly well with with uh specific styles of beer um that's just a start but if you enjoy certain kinds of snacks and foods with beer um go for it you know unless you're unless you're uh you know seriously evaluating for judging purposes or professional purposes then you, then you need to really get serious about cleansing your palate between tastes.
0: Yeah, that's 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 so interesting. Um I wanted to ask you too I had you on the line since I have you I'm going to ask you um about fruit beers because I've I've kind of seen a more explosion of fruit beers and to me as kind of a non-beer drinking woman um, and I'm sure, you know, I'm not speaking for all women, but that seems to be more appealing to me because it doesn't taste as bitey for some reason. Um, is, there, is is that being geared towards women for that reason, or, or is there? I, I'm really happy to see these fruit beers come along. And is there really yeah. fruit in the beer, or is it just an artificial thing? But whatever it is, I'm, I, I do like it. It's leading me into the beer world. Yeah, some,
1: you know, different brewers, large and small, make fruit beer for different reasons. Um, you know, if a beer is made and designed specifically to target the female woman palate, those beers, in my opinion, lack complexity and, in my mind, real real beer character it's the beer the, the the fruit beers that really are enjoyed more more genuinely are the ones where the brewers are really making something because they're they're trying to duplicate a tradition of fruit beer making that may have originated here in this country or in or in Europe or elsewhere in the world or their ex, their, their love of experimentation and integration and and uh, integrating certain flavors in beer um and using exotic fruits um and uh, fruit flavors those beers generally have a lot more sustainability um you know why You know, you suggest that, you ask the question, you know, why would, why would, why would, why do, why is it possible that women might migrate to these fruity beers? Well, it's, it's not necessarily the fruit in the beer that women migrate to, because I have introduced some very hoppy India pale ales, which do not have fruit in them to women who consider themselves light lager drinkers and they don't really like beer and they don't want a beer that's very bitter. And I have uh, made some choices about which kinds of India pale ales, which are very hoppy. Some can be very bitter. They have a pretty high degree of bitterness. But some of the ones that I particularly enjoy have a, a very high degree of hop flavor and hop aroma. And many hops can contribute a really distinctive fruity flavor to beer. And when you introduce those kinds of beers to women that say that think that they don't like beer um, and they don't like bitter flavor, you can see the expression on their faces. It's like, what's going on? I like this beer, but I don't know why. I literally heard that response from <laughs> some women. I like this beer, but I don't know why. It's not bitter, but, and they, they say, but I say it is very. It is bitter, but what you're experiencing is a high degree of fruity aroma and fruity flavors from hops, which contribute to the overall balance and the overall experience of a beer that is fruity. And so, there, I would say that there are many women that. They don't think that they are beer drinkers, that once they experience American-style beers that have a high degree of hop flavor and hop aroma, that they can become genuine craft beer enthusiasts.
0: Well, that's good to know, because that has been the turnoff for me in the past, is that I didn't like the smell of it. It just smelled bad, and then it was so bitter. I am thinking, how can anybody be drinking these? But people started introducing me and I be, and I moved over to the wine side. I became a wine drinker. But there's something about having a cold beer, or having a beer bottle, or having a frosty glass, or something—a beer that just looks inviting. And so I wanted to experience beer more, but I just couldn't get over. You know, it. it smell right, it didn't taste right, something. But uh, so I I get that it it has been more um, invoking to me with the aromas. Um, that I've been able to kind of dip my foot into the beer vat, so to speak, because of Rudy Mm -hmm, beer. mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Well, you're located in the northwest, uh, northwestern mm -hmm. United States in Seattle. Pacific Northwest is well known for its um, hoppy, hop-accented beers. And I would say that somewhere between the Pacific and the Atlantic Ocean, there are many brewers that are not only... You know, and at first when, when brewers were, were accenting their India pale ales with hops, it was all about the bitterness. But people discovered that there are different ways to introduce hops in the brewing process, in the fermentation process, in the beer-making process to really, really offer the beer drinkers some very unique experiences. And if you find an India pale ale that is just too bitter for you, don't dismiss India pale ales. Keep searching, keep tasting. When you go to a brewery, brew pub, or a, a, be, a craft beer bar, or that offers a very, a variety of India Pale, ask for a taste of some of the India Pale ales. Some of them you will like, some of them you you won't like. I'm the same way. There are certain kinds of India Pale ales that I don't I don't enjoy as much as the ones that have a certain balance of hop flavor and aroma to probably a higher degree than um, you know, the, the 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 beer drinkers that really like uh, a good shot of bitterness, which is fine when you're in the mood for that. But more often than not, I'm um, I'm looking for more of a balance of sweet malt and and lemony, mango-like, passion fruit-like uh, hop characters. Well,
0: that sounds good. Whatever you just described. That's what I'm looking for too. <laughs> that sounds good. If, that, if that's out there, I'm going to keep searching for it. it sounds like there's, there's really something for everybody.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, you can't say I don't believe anyone when they say I don't like beer. They might not like beer for uh, personal reasons, psychological reasons, but it's not because of the mm-hmm. flavor. Because there's always a beer out there that. You, at this day and age, there are too many different kinds of beers, um, yeah. offering so many different kinds of experiences that there's a beer for everybody out there.
0: People must feel a lot of pressure when they see you coming, Charlie. They probably think, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> I hope he's going to like my beer." Or, you know, I'm sure they're looking for a reaction. And there's probably a lot of pressure on them when when they see you come around.
1: Well, I know that that's often the way it is because I've seen some tweets out there like the ultimate anxiety is having Charlie the patient come and come to your brewery and taste your beer. (laughs) And I try, you know, I really appreciate the fact that beer is meant to be meant to be enjoyed. And if a brewer is having a beer with me, I want to have, I want them to have that experience as well. So I try to play that play that down a little bit as far as the anxiety that's in the air because, you know, beer's meant to have fun and fun with and enjoy and, you know, luckily these days the vast majority of the beers that are may being made by small and independent craft brewers in particular are beers that are really well made and some, everyone prefers certain beers over another and I'm no different and, um, you know, I'll if asked, I'll I'll be honest. I'll say, well, this beer is a really, really good German-style wheat beer. It's really, really good. It could compete and win a gold medal in a, in a competition. But, you know, I don't like it because I don't like German-style wheat beers in general. And I know that a good 50% of beer drinkers love the stuff, but it's just my palate. You know, it's like some people like cucumbers and some people don't. Some people like... Peanut butter sandwiches, and some people don't. It's you know everybody's palates are different.
0: Right, right. It's uh, it's absolutely just fascinating this this whole world of of all this craft beer. And do, do you think because it's so popular now, and and um, it, it is offering so many different styles, that it's putting the pressure on the kind of the mainstream beer companies who are just kind of mass marketing? How are they shifting to what's going on? They're kind of
1: behind the ball. Oh, oh, there are. You know, just keep in perspective that the, the small and independent, 2,500-plus small and independent breweries in the United States are only providing about 6 6.5% six of all the beer that's enjoyed in the United States. So it's a very small portion.
0: Wow. Your question
1: about the larger, larger global breweries, um, international companies are – are offering some beers that oftentimes don't have their names on them as far as a company name, but um, they are offering beers that are trying to duplicate the excitement and the qualities um, that small brewers um, began. And so there are some beers that uh, that they're experimenting with. But, you know, on the scale that they brew and the volume of beer that they make, it's in my opinion uh difficult for them to make small batches and be profitable because that's not their business model um and so you often see them experimenting with different kinds of things We're just kind of trying to trying to make it work and trying to make it profitable but it's it's not an easy thing when you're a large international brewing making hundreds of millions of barrels of beer a year to to make a few thousand barrels of beer and and offer Unique, uh, unique beers at that those sm- no small amounts. So they still right. have to appeal to the the you know the masses, so to speak, in order to make it work. And uh, with regards to the financial financial success, it's 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 a, quite a challenge for them. But they are in the market, and they do have beers that um, um, are reminiscent of some of the styles that craft. Small independent craft brewers are making.
0: Well, they certainly sat up and taken notice. You know, it hasn't. Your this movement in the craft beer industry hasn't gone unnoticed. I, I believe that they're watching it.
1: Yeah, you know, the biggest challenge for small craft brewers is distribution and getting their beer in front of the consumer, whether it's in the pub or the restaurant, but especially in the supermarkets or the places where beer is sold, because Oh, I mean, every beer drinker who's been to a beer aisle in a store will see the long aisle, the long aisles of beers from Anheuser-Busch in and bed and the the Miller Coors. Uh, you know, it, it takes something 30, 40 feet of cooler space, and then you have five or ten feet. Maybe if you're lucky, you have five or ten feet of feet of space for you know the hundred other small brewers. But you know the the amount of space that's taken up in the in in a limited cooler um, in, the, in supermarkets and other places where beer is sold is way out of proportion, in my opinion, to what the the beer drinker is really looking for with regards to choice. Um, you know, the, there's a lot of space there that could be could be offered to to smaller brewers and their beers um, to the benefit of whoever's selling the beer. You know, to right. Get right? More customers coming in and exploring the world of craft beer and buying beers. Um, so it's you know it's a win-win for the for the retailer and if they if they were able to uh, consider giving more space to to small brewers so that beer drinkers have more better access to all these great beers that are out there. Definitely.
0: Well, I really appreciate you coming on because I have these questions. You are the go-to guy. It's just fascinating. Um, it's it's absolutely a whole new world. And I'm, I want to get the book, um, The Complete Joy of Home Brewing, because I think my husband and I, I think Mike can dabble in this just a little bit. And I, I think a, a lot of people have that same uh, uh interest and curiosity and and you made it sound like it's it's actually doable for us
1: well you'll have to let me know how your
0: first
1: first batch of beer turns out
0: (laughs) or not (laughs) maybe i'll let you know how the second batch turns out (laughs) but hopefully the first batch turns out great it will be we'll see well, thank you, Charlie. I'm going to get that book, Complete Joy of Home Brewing, and you have other books too. So once people find that one, that they can find all the other books that you have, and you are absolutely right. the go-to guy. And I certainly appreciate you, Kim, and, and taking the time to just kind of give us a you know craft beer 101 lesson, so that we at least know where to start and get pointed in the right direction, and and have the resources to turn to for help.
1: You're well. You're certainly welcome. I enjoy being on your program, and as I say in the book very often is relax, don't worry, have a homebrew.
0: Sounds good. I'm going to write that down. I have all kinds of notes. I was just scribbling notes while I was talking to you. Thank you very, very much for coming on, and I will let you know how that first batch or or the second one comes out.
1: Okay. Whatever one's drinkable, I'll let you know. (laughs) Okay.
0: All right. Thanks, Charlie.
1: So long. Have a
0: great day. Bye-bye. All right. That was the godfather, the founder of the craft beer. We we got him on the line. He's the go-to guy. That's who we want to talk to. And you can uh, look for his book, The Complete Joy of Home Brewing. That's Charlie... Papazion, everybody knows who he is, and he is the go-to guy. So he's been doing it for many, many, many years and just thrilled that he could come on and talk to us. Be sure to check out craftbeer.com. And I think that uh, my husband and I are going to maybe have a little hobby, and hopefully we'll we'll see how it goes. I haven't been a huge beer drinker, mostly wine, but but there are some beers that kind of interest me, and and he does love beer, and it would be fun to try to make it ourselves. thank you for joining us and listening in today. I hope you enjoyed that um, little talk about craft beer. I'm going to play out today to Dave Rood. He is with the band Tesla, which we all love Tesla, one of the great American bands, great beer drinking band, and a great band to drink beer, too. And this is Dave has his own solo project going on a lot of the members of Tesla do. They support each other in those endeavors. And this is On My Own Again off of his new album, The Key. And this is Dave Rood from Tesla on his solo project, The Key. Thanks for joining us.
2: Remember when we first met? Took one look at you and my heart was set.